This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. All right, we are in part three and uh, kind of like our last part of our main message uh, or our series called The Greatest Gift. Uh, We are in what we're calling our Advent series. Now, depending on what church you probably grew up in or if you ever went to church, uh, this might be the first church you've ever attended. Uh, You might have attended church sometime in the past or you might have gone to a Catholic church or an Anglican church or a Pentecostal church or a non-denominational church. No matter what church you've been to, you have probably been introduced to the concept or the idea of Advent in some way or the other. In liturgical churches, uh, like some of the ones I mentioned before, uh, the, the season of Advent begins four weeks before Christmas does, and they celebrate Advent in four weeks, and they light candles, so on and so forth. In a non-denominational church like ours, or a non-liturgical church like ours, we don't light candles, we don't follow the Advent the same way a lot of our liturgical brothers do. But in, in its essence, uh, it is so important for us to understand the theological importance and the depth and the meaning of the, con- of the season of Advent when we understand the message of the Advent. Now, the word Advent literally means coming or arrival, coming or arrival. Uh, See, the Advent season is a theologically enriching way in which we as a church can attempt to have a very meaningful conversation about the Christmas message. See, Advent is a biblical approach to address and talk about what Christians truly should be celebrating Christmas for. See, during this series, we're discussing at length the most extravagant gift exchange that ever happened. We're living in times and seasons and forever Christians have celebrated Christmas, Christians and non-Christians, and used this season as a time and an opportunity to celebrate family, celebrate friends, and gift giving is one of those ways that we express love to people. When we exchange gifts, uh, you know, and, and during this, this, you know, this, this series, we're talking at length about the most extravagant gift exchange. We talked the first, the first week that we did this series, we talked about the first reason why Jesus is the greatest gift. And we said it's because he is God with us. You know, the glorious offense of the gospel is what we talked about. Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel. In the second week, we talked about another extravagant gift exchange where he talks, we talked about the Prince of Peace, how God can take our fear and our troubles and he can give us the peace that passeth all understanding. And today, as we discuss part three, I'm titling my message, Amazing Grace. As we explore and we look into uh, why Jesus uh, came into the earth uh, and why, his fa- why fa- the Father God sent Jesus into the earth, uh, we explore the reason behind the advent, the coming, the arrival, so to speak. And as we approach this third, uh, this third part, when, when we're talking about grace, uh, I want us to pay very keen attention, close attention, as we understand this concept in the next 
uh, next few minutes. So give me your undivided attention for the next 30 minutes as I give you this word and as I present this word to you. It was many, many years ago. Uh, I think it was my first year of college. I did something very unbecoming and of a Christian, very, something that I am still very, very ashamed of. Uh, it's not one of my glory moments. It's not one of those moments that I can be proud of. I cheated in a test. It was a statistics test, and I didn't study as well as I needed to for it. Hated that subject. Hated it with the bottom of, from the bottom of my heart. And I wrote down a, a formula on a piece of paper. And for those of y'all who are not good at cheating, uh, and I hope it's a lot of y'all, uh, you're probably, you probably don't know how to cheat well. I just didn't know how to cheat well. And uh, got caught cheating. Uh, my father was called. Uh, I was sent out of that test, uh, um, you know, just, just completely ashamed. Knew that I shouldn't have done it, but still did it. My teacher called my father, and uh, uh, there was this long meeting in which I was, uh, I was a part of that meeting for the first 30 minutes where I was ashamed. I was really, really filled with, with, with regret, and I communicated that in the most effective way that I can. And then what followed was me being sent out of the room for a, very, uh, for a meeting that my father had one-on-one -on -one with my teacher. I, till this day, I could think about every minute of that meeting, my heart beating faster by every second, all right? It was bad, it was bad, it was bad, it was bad. I just didn't know what was coming. I didn't know what was about to happen. Uh, I didn't know if I was going to be expelled from school. I didn't know if I was supposed to do the, the class all over again. I don't know if I was going to be suspended. All of these things were not better than the other. I wasn't hoping for a less, lesser punishment. All I hoped was that everything would just go away. All I hoped was I would just wake up from a dream and, 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 and hope it was all just a nightmare. Unfortunately, it wasn't. My dad sat there for a grueling 15 minutes or so. And, and, and through every minute of that, I was, I was literally wondering what was going to happen. My dad came out of that meeting, did not say one word. I still remember getting into the vehicle with my dad going back home and there was utter silence in the car. And you know, when there's nothing being said, there's trouble coming, okay? And especially if you have a brown dad, all right? You know that silence is never a good thing. All right. It's not a hey. Let's let's go to McDonald's. Let me buy you some ice cream. Let's sit down. Let's talk about this. Nothing of that. I I imagined the worst. I knew that I had to plan my own funeral. Probably. I knew it was going to be very bad. I still remember getting home. My dad dropped me off. Went to work. And I think it was later that evening he got, he came back. And I, I still remember the moment he walked through the door, I, I literally broke out into tears like I was doing the, the whole day. But the moment I saw him, I just didn't know what was about to happen. So I said, the best defense mechanism, and I wasn't faking it, it was for real. I just broke out into tears and I started sobbing, crying, because I just didn't know what else to do. And I still remember my dad walking up to me and doing something that he had never, ever done before. If I did that in grade school, I would have got whooped right? That was a different story. But I was older now, and I, I still remember him coming and putting his arms around my shoulder, right? He looked at me. Not much was said in that moment. Not much was exchanged. Not a lot of words were exchanged. And all he said was, your teacher wants, to do, wants you to do your class one more time. I said, wait, what? 
didn't you ask her to forgive me completely? And I said, yeah. I, he, said, he said, I did. I, I bargained through all the chips. I said, I, 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 I tried doing everything I could. I, I asked her for every possible situation. And she arrived at that conclusion that if I was to monitor you, if I was to take things into my own hands and give you the, the punishments that you needed, so on and so forth, she was only going to make sure that I had to do the class again. And so I did. But that day was a life-defining moment in my life. Because what I experienced from my father was something that I had never experienced ever before. It was not just a fatherly love, but it was something called grace that even if I try to put into words, I cannot explain well. You know, the Bible in John chapter 1, from verse 1 to 3, if you're following with me, you can follow with whatever translation that you have. I'm reading from the NIV. If you don't have your Bibles on you, you can follow on the screen. The Bible says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. The word became flesh, verse 14. I'm jumping to verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. The Bible says the word became flesh and made his dwelling upon us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Can we pray? Father, we ask that you speak to us through this word. I pray, God, that you will give me the ability to break this word down and to be able to just to understand this in the fullness of the Christmas message. God, would you speak to our hearts? I pray that you will reveal to our hearts what we need to hear today. We give you praise. We give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a few introductory remarks before I get into the, the subject of the matter here. The Bible says the Word became flesh. The Bible is talking about the Word in, in terms of, of God himself becoming flesh. It boggles my mind and it blows my mind that the creator, the one that created flesh, humbled himself for the sake of mankind because of our sins, because of your sin and my sin. He humbled himself to come in the form of man because we needed it. The Bible says he became flesh and he dwelt. The word dwelt is from this word tabernacled or, or he, he, he resided. He was among us. He came in the middle of us. The Bible says he came down. He became flesh. He came from the Father. The advent is about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible in its, in, its, in its truest form explains to us the reason that Jesus came. The Bible is very clear that, and we've talked about that over the last few Sundays. But today in particular, it's important for us to understand that Jesus not only came for peace, he not only came to be with us, but he came to offer what we know as this word called grace. And I want to break this word down for us. The Bible says he came full of grace and full of truth. The advent was coated with grace. 
You know that word over there that the Bible says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son. Do you know where God gets his glory from? Where God's glory is most depicted and most portrayed and most shown to his people when grace is experienced in his people. When we experience the true grace of God, when we experience the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you and I can boldly say that we have seen the glory of God. God is glorified. He gets his glory. He is enthroned on the praises of his people when you and I understand the true meaning of grace in our lives. That's what the Bible says. He came full of grace and full of truth. All the grace that you ever need is found in the advent. Haven't you been there in your life before where you looked at God and said, God, give me more grace. I need more grace for this week. Sonia says that every day about me, says, Lord, give me more grace. You know, but I'm, I'm telling you this, God has given us enough grace already. Some of us need to tap into it, not just tap into it, but understand the trueness and the fullness of grace. And I pray that we will open our hearts this morning to understand this. I'm going to give you two points, all right? We don't have much, point, much time, so I'm going to give you two points. Point number one, write this down, grace is given. Grace is given. If there's one thing I want us to understand about grace today, is that we did not deserve grace. It is not something that we earned, and in a few seconds we'll talk about it. But in 2 Timothy chapter number one, one, chapter number one and verse 8 and 9, Paul is writing to Timothy and he's saying this, Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Someone say, and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Very simple. In another translation, the CSV says this, God saved us and chose us to be his holy people. We did nothing to deserve it, but God planned it because he was so, so kind. This is encouraging this morning. I want us to take this message with all your heart. What is grace? Can I give you grace in one sentence? Grace is God's favor that's unmerited, that's unearned, and undeserved. All right? It's God's favor that is unearned, unmerited, and undeserved. All right? This is good when we understand this. See, you can't understand grace by mere definition. I can stand here and I can break down that definition for you. I can talk about what unmerited means. I can talk about what undeserved means. But nothing understands grace like experience does. See, there are some things that can only be understood when experienced. You just can't explain some things. You know what I'm talking about? Like falling in love, right? I can stand here and do a TEDx talk about how you can fall in love and what it means to fall in love and how it feels to be in love. Bubbles, bubbles, bubbles. You know, love, love, love. Emotions, the flutter of the heart. I can, I can keep talking about it and make you feel good. But unless you've been there, 
right? You don't know. You don't know what it feels like to get married till you're up on that altar saying your I do's. I can talk about marriage all I want. We can do seminars over seminars, but you don't understand what it is to get married and be married unless you are in a marriage. Come on, somebody. Everyone that's out of marriage wants to get married, and everybody that's married is like, Lord, (laughs) just kidding, just kidding. Stay married. You don't experience. Everybody wants to know what it feels like to wake up next to your spouse. Man, I can't wait for that day. When I'm there, you're dating and you're, you know, courting somebody and you're, you know, you're in that process, you're engaged to somebody and you're like, boo, I miss you. I miss you too. You know, you're, you're, you're so much in love and you can't wait to be with each other. And then marriage happens and then you start waking up next to each other. And in a few weeks, you realize in the morning when you wake up, you see him drooling all over the place. You know, I crispies all over and you're like, I don't know about that. You know, like I saw, I saw all the makeup, you know, like, are you understanding what I'm saying? Like, it's different. It's different to experience something and just not talk about it. Or getting a pedicure. I don't know why women love it. I got a pedicure once in my life. And that was the last time I got a pedicure. I don't know what's relaxing about it. Any guys been and got, got a pedicure done more than once? I need to pray for y'all. Yeah, Jason, we need to pray for you. There are those guys that get a pedicure done, which is a lot of us because we're forced to for the Instagram picture, right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And then those, there are those of us who say, that's it. There's no, you can't convince me to go back. And I don't know how that can be pleasurable by any means. I said then I was tickled out of my mind and I was like, please stop what you're doing. I'll pay you for not touching my feet. And then there's waxing. I have no idea how that feels. But a few months ago, I challenged the young adults when we were building the church. I told them if they can raise 15000 was that right? 15000 $15,000, which I thought they wouldn't, right? I said, you can go ahead and wax my arms and you can wax my legs and I'll cook barbecue for you guys. These guys said bet. <laughs> All right? They said, and, and within, within the time frame, they raised $15,000. All right? And very soon here... All right. They tried scheduling it a few weeks ago and I chickened out and I canceled. All right. But very, very soon here, they're going to be bringing me into that room and waxing my arms. I'm not looking forward to it by any means, but I'm soon going to experience what that feels like. And y'all are probably going to see it on Instagram and Facebook. Don't be alarmed. But it's one thing to talk about it, another thing to experience this. See, grace is the same way. You don't fully understand it till you fully experience it. I can preach all I want about it. I can, you can read books about it. You can listen to so-and-so, to this guy and that guy and this girl and that girl talking about grace and, and stories of grace. But unless you've been in those shoes, you don't understand the power of this word grace. See, the funny thing is Jesus doesn't use the word grace. Not once. Paul used it more than a hundred times, yet Jesus does not use that word even once. I want to open your minds this morning. The reason Jesus didn't do that was because he came in grace. 
You got to understand this. Paul was trying to communicate about this Jesus that was full of grace. Jesus didn't need to talk about it. He just acted it. Come on, somebody. He was just there living a life of grace and he wanted people to see it. I pray that your life will be filled with grace so much that you don't need to talk about it, that it will be, it will be so evident and it will radiate through your life and through every part of your being, through the words you speak, through the actions that you do. It will radiate that the whole world will know what grace truly is. Yet John says that he was full of grace and truth. How? Because it's all through the gospel, church. Jesus was grace in motion. Am I talking to somebody? Jesus was grace in motion as Jesus begins his ministry. You remember when he walks around and he calls his disciples to follow him? It's amazing because back in the day, Jesus was a rabbi. He was a teacher. That's what his disciples called him. They said rabbi. Back when rabbis would pick their disciples, they would, they would take applications. They would go on Indeed.com and put in, their, put in their job posting and people would apply and the best of the best would apply and, and people that were learned and people that had degrees and people that had masters and, 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 and doctorates and all of them would apply. They needed to be well-knowledged. You know, all these people, would the applications would come. The, bright, the, the brightest and the best would apply and they would cross their fingers. But Jesus doesn't ap- accept applications He offers invitations. It was grace personified. Jesus walks through the streets and he invited people that would have never made the cut if they applied. Am I talking to somebody today? I want to encourage somebody this morning. That's what grace does. Grace finds you in every moment of your life, no matter if you're worthy or not. God's grace finds every single person and calls you worthy, calls you deserving, calls you somebody, even when you think you are a nobody. That's what Jesus did. He invited people that that would have never made the cut. He went up to fishermen who were stinking, who people didn't want to be around. Come on, somebody. And he looked at them and said, you matter. He went up to tax collectors. And back in the day, the the, the status of tax collectors were lower than prostitutes. That's how bad they were. Their reputation was just so bad. And he walked up to them and he looked at Matthew and said, follow me. That's the Jesus that... See, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8 and 9, the Bible says this, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and his own grace. Do you know something? This morning, if God has put his mark on you, which he has, if you are sitting here today, if you are breathing today, God has a purpose in your life. You aren't here by mistake. God selected you, chose you. The Bible reminds you that he, he chose you even before you were born. He knew your name. He counted every hair on your head and you matter to God. And he says, because of my purpose and grace, no matter what you've done or the path you have chosen, his grace will find you all the time because his purpose is greater. He reveals himself to shepherds watching their flock by night. Grace finds them. Come on, somebody. It was not to the kings. It was, uh, this is good. He, re- he reveals himself to some wise men that travels for days and days and days to get to him. You remember John the Baptist? 
You remember the introduction of John the Baptist? Some of y'all don't. Let me remind you. Luke chapter 3 and verse 1. Some of you might have skipped this because of a lot of names. Anywhere names are there in the Bible, you're like, skip to verse number 2. Now, I want you to listen to this, okay? Now, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Eturia and Trachonitis, and Lysanias was tetrarch of Abilene, the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of the Lord came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. I'm pretty sure that 99% of y'all didn't catch what, what exactly I read right now. You're like, yeah, a bunch of names, Pastor, exactly what you said. But listen carefully. Are you ready for this? Tetrak is from the two Greek words tetra and archean. Archean, which means to rule, and tetra was four. So these are four governors of the land. The four rulers of the land, okay? They were the four, four highest-ranking rulers of that country, all right? The verse begins with a listing of the important people of that time. Tiberius, Pilate, Herod, and Philip. All right, so if, if Luke was writing today, he might, might, might you know, list out Biden or, or Harris or, you know, Abbott or one of those people in those high-ranking places in government. Those are the people that you might hear. Luke used those important folk to let us know that the important happening in the world back then had absolutely nothing to do with the important people of that time. There was a Caesar, there was a Pilate, there were four governors, there were two high priests, but the word of God came to a wild-eyed, locust-eating man with a scraggly beard and dressed in what might be described as fur coming off a roadkill. The word of God came to that dude. Talk about grace, folk. See, there's a reason as to why John was taken seriously. It wasn't because of his amazing British accent. It wasn't because of his charming GQ looks. It wasn't because of the designer clothes he wore. No, all of these would have automatically disqualified him. The Bible says that those who came to hear his message believed him and repented and were baptized by him. What made them take him so seriously? The word is grace. Hi, buddy. It was grace. I love it when kids run around. Trust me, I love it. When kids scream and run around. So it, it just shows that we're a church full of life. This is good. Listen to Jesus' evaluation of John's life. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen another one greater than John the Baptist. Ah. That would surely call favor, and that, we could call that the favor and the grace of God. You remember Jesus healing the leper in Luke chapter 5? Being a leper was a life sentence back in the day. All right, people, they were never going to be touched ever in their life again. But in verse number 13 in Luke chapter number, uh, Luke chapter number 5, before Jesus healed the leper, the Bible says he reached out and touched him. See, the miracle reveals the power of Jesus, but the touch reveals the grace of Jesus. This is, this is and, and that's what Jesus says that is given freely to you and to me, church. 
You didn't deserve it. It was, you were not qualified for it. But the Bible says, because Jesus went on the cross and died for your sin and my sin, we weren't deserving. But because of that cross, because of that sacrifice, because of what he did, it made the unqualified qualified and gave you a place of honor and and, and a place where you matter to the Lord. That is what grace does. This is powerful. You're talking about the greatest miracle, the greatest gift. That is the greatest gift. That I matter. That even when I think that I'm good for nothing, it was an unconditional touch. It wasn't a, once you get cleaned, I'll touch you. It was a, no matter even if other people don't touch you, I will first touch you and then show you what I can do through you. Don't wait for what God can do to you or through you before that know in your heart that he has already accepted you. He has touched you, he has embraced you, and he has given value to you more than anybody has or will ever give you value. And that is grace. And because of grace, you and I can go living about our lives every single day knowing that you are accepted and loved by Jesus Christ. Uh, I am loved. Because I hear this all the time from people. I don't have it all together, Pastor. I'll come back to church sometime later when I, when I figure out life first. I need to figure out all this mess first, Pastor. I, I don't have it all together. I need to get out of this rut, Pastor. I need to get over this struggle that I have. When I get this relationship sorted out, Pastor, I'll come back to church. <laughs> Doesn't that defeat the whole purpose of wanting God in your life in the first place? In John chapter 8, the Bible talks about this woman who was thrown at the feet of Jesus. She was caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus stands right in between that man who has a stone ready to stone her and says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. (laughs) That, my friend, is grace. And you will never understand what grace means unless you are that woman standing at the feet of Jesus kneeling and crouching at the feet of Jesus with people waiting to throw and throw stones at you and rocks at you and you standing at a point where you're you're saying, Jesus, if not you, nothing else. When the whole world turns its back on you, there's still a Jesus that will stand up and that will fight for you because of grace. Because of grace. You know, shortly after I started preaching as a young boy, And I share these stories because I want you to understand that grace is about experience. Grace is not about theory. Shortly after I started preaching as a young boy, you know, I got pulled into something that would have completely and forever destroyed me in my ministry. I started preaching at a very young age of 12. At the age of 13, I was introduced to pornography by a friend at church. Not at school, at church. I got pulled into it. I can't blame anybody. I had to blame myself. I got pulled into it. Before I could turn turn into anything worse, my youth pastor found out. I still remember him pulling pulling me into his office. I said, I thought this was it. I looked at myself and said, I looked at myself and said, "There's, there's no coming out of this. And I still remember him looking at me and saying, Ashish, this moment will forever define your future or this moment 
could destroy you and your future. He sat there and he said, you need to ask God for forgiveness. And you need to look at the Lord and say, God, I suffer from this at a very young age. And I, I, want, I want you to think about this. It was not when I was 18. It was not, it was not when I was 20. This was at 13. And I'm being raw and honest with you as honest could be. I knew how much of shame this brought on me. And, and I, I was ashamed and I was deplorable. I was in a state of just utter disgust. And I couldn't believe that I was in that situation. But I still remember as my youth pastor led me in a moment of prayer. He looked at me and said, Ashish, you will go through a season of restoration. But I want you to know that you are loved and you have a way back because Jesus loves you and he has died for your sins. And even though you have sinned right now, you have asked God for forgiveness. And let me tell you, that embrace that I got from him, he got up from his chair across the table. He bridged the gap, came up to me and said, Ashish, I'm going to give you a hug. And I want you to know that this is what Jesus would do if he's standing in front of you. And when I tell you that grace is experienced, what I experienced on that day would have completely destroyed me if that was judgment. I would have never come back to church. I would have never seen ministry ever again. But that day when I decided to look at God and say, God, forgive me. I got caught up in something that I should have never got caught up in. But the day that somebody reached out to me and showed me what the true grace of Jesus Christ meant. And sometimes, man, even though people know that the grace of Jesus is there, they need people who are the hands and feet of Jesus that can actually hug on people and say, we will be the embodiment of grace in your life. See, when you've experienced so much of grace in your life, you can't help but understand that grace that this Bible teaches us about is, is, can only be given by God and nobody else. Grace is given. The second thing I want to leave with you is grace is giving. Grace is giving. You know, so many people ask me, Pastor Ashish, why, how is it so easy for you to forgive people that have done wrong to you? And there are so many people that have done wrong to me in my life. A lot of people. Let me read this verse for you. The, the Apostle Paul articulates this so beautifully in Titus chapter 2 verse 11 to 14 for the grace of God that brings salvation okay the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men it's for all grace is for all someone say grace is for all it teaches us to say no it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself us, gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify himself, a people that are his very own. It's beautiful when you break that passage down. It says, while you wait for the blessed hope, when we talk about Advent or the coming or the arrival, we just don't talk about a manger and a baby Jesus. 
That's not the only coming we're talking about. We're talking about this grand second arrival of Jesus that is promised to you and to me where he said, I am coming back on the clouds. Jesus is coming back for you and for me, church. If you have a relationship with Jesus, and I'm asking you today, do you have a personal relationship with him? Have you experienced the grace and the love of Jesus like I have? If you have experienced that grace, Jesus is coming. There's going to be a second advent. It's going to be the final advent where Jesus will come down for his bride, for his church, for you and for me. I can't wait for that day. But between the first advent and between the second advent, not only did God show grace through his son, but he equips you and me, enables you and me to offer grace to the people around us. Because in Colossians 4 and 6, the Bible says this, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how how you ought to answer each person. Ephesians 4, 29 says this, let no corrupting talk come from your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. You know what we are tasked with? Is to be gracious to people, church. Are we practicing being gracious every single day in our lives? Worship team, can you guys get ready to come up? And to answer the people that say, Pastor, how can you easily forgive people? It's this, I can stand up for people because people have stood up for me. I can show grace because I've experienced grace. See, it's always easier to be on the receiving end of grace and to experience grace. But when you come to the other side, it's so hard for us to offer grace. But for grace to make its full circle, it just doesn't end with, it just doesn't end with getting grace. It ends with giving grace. Every part of your life, every single moment of your life, are you looking for places to be gracious in? For so many of us, it starts in our relationships, church. It starts in in our families. When's the last time you were gracious to your spouse? Man, we have hard days sometimes. Husbands have hard days. Wives have hard days. And sometimes we're going to lose it. How many times we walked into the house and, man, your husband or the wife is like having a day. Or for some of y'all, a week. <laughs> and <laughs> or that. <laughs> We're all been there. What's our first reaction? Oh, you're going to be angry. I'm going to be angry. It's like angry, 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 angry. And, and, and you think your anger is going to squash the other person's anger, but, but it doesn't. We start keeping score. Hey, if you're, if you're good to me two times, I'm going to be good to you two times. If you're good to me five times, I'm going to be good to you five times. If you did me wrong, I'm going to do you wrong. It's crazy how that could creep up into marriages and how that can creep up into families. But are we offering grace to people? You know, people that are in relationships, people that are married, you know, there's once upon a time when you were first in a relationship. You first liked a girl, you first liked a boy, man, you were so gracious to them. You remember that time? You were opening the door. Come on, somebody. You were so nice. You were sending them those emojis, those love emojis on the phone. And now you don't care. Like, you know, you started dating them, you started, you know, you're going out with them, or now you're married and it's, it's all gone. Sometimes it just goes away. 
See, but here's the problem, right? When, when your spouse doesn't get affirmations from you, when your spouse doesn't get validated by you, when your husband or your wife is looking for that affirmation, they're looking for that grace from you, and you don't offer it to them because it's not coming naturally anymore, they're going to go seek it somewhere else. When you don't look at your wife, husband sitting here, when you don't look at your wife and tell them how beautiful they are, like always have the right answers, husbands. Men that are going to be husbands have the right answers. When she looks at you, when you're going out, when she looks at you and says, does this dress make me look fat? That can be a life-defining moment. Your answer shouldn't be, mm, no, no, don't even think about it. Don't pause, you can't. That's definitely not. That's death right there. Don't do it. Validate. Does this dress, dress make me look old? Does this, you know, does this hairstyle make me look old? No, you, you, you have one answer. It's, babe, if I walk out with you right now, I could be arrested because I'm going to be out with an underage girl. That's, that's exactly going to be your answer. There's no other answer for that question. I'm giving you life tips, okay? You know I'm talking the truth. See, here's the thing. When, when you and I can go through those seasons where, where you can offer grace, be gracious, search for places where you can be gracious to people. And I'm just using, it starts at home, church. It starts at home. Can we be gracious to one another? If somebody's having a hard day, be gracious. They may scream at you. They may tear your, her, your hair out. But bring your children together and just start praying, y'all. You just need to start praying. You need to keep it inside. Keep your calm. Keep quiet. Let somebody have their bad moment. Let them have their worst It's okay. Be there for them. Don't get angry together. Be gracious. Offer grace. Stand up for people. Stand up for the voiceless. I still remember to this day. Can you stand up to your feet with me, church? I still remember to this day. The reason I started standing up for people that don't have a voice, that could never stand up for themselves was because somebody did that to me once. It was around 10 years ago. I, I still remember it so clearly. There was something that happened because, because of the church that I used to attend. And, and I, I would, I, I had to, we had to leave as a family. We had to leave the church because of certain things that happened. It wasn't our, it wasn't our control. And I still remember that it cast a bad image on my ministry because there were people that would, that would call the places that I was invited to speak at. And, and I still remember to this day, there was a conference that was happening in Arizona and there was somebody that called the, the, the person that was arranging this conference. And the person is, is Tracy's uncle. Uh, Tracy's probably sitting over here and it's a beautiful example of just somebody that's right here. Tracy's uncle, Roy, Pastor Roy, called me one day and said, Pastor Osher, so-and-so said that, 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 you know, this is what happened when that didn't happen. And they said, 
we shouldn't invite you because this is what happened. And, and I don't want to go into the details, but this is exactly what happened. And because of that, they don't want me to invite you, but I stood up for you. I told them what the truth was because they heard it from somebody else. And I stood up for you and I defended you because you couldn't. It was amazing what that did to my ministry today. It's amazing how because one person who knew the truth stood up and didn't keep quiet and showed grace to me. See, grace needs to be a part of your story, church. Because grace is greater than what has been done to you or what's been done or what's going to be done. Grace is bigger than that. Grace is bigger than what you've, you've been through in your past. Grace is bigger than that diagnosis. Grace is bigger than that battle that you're going through. It's bigger than your in, that, that infidelity. It's bigger than that abuse. It's bigger than those secrets. Grace may not heal your condition, but grace will hold you up. Grace will not heal that cancer, but it will carry you through. Grace, grace may not rescue, but it may redeem. No matter how many times you've relapsed, I'm telling you, grace is bigger. No matter how much you've messed up and you've slipped up and you thought that there is no way back, trust me, there's always somebody to put their arms around you and say, don't give up. You have a restoration ahead of you. I pray that you will be a living, breathing example of grace to somebody around you. See, the most important part of your story is that is not that you were cheated or you were cheated on. The most important part of your story is not that you dropped out of school or that you were kicked out of that program. The most important part of your story is not that you got bullied or that you slept around or that you were addicted to drugs. The most important part is that God's grace is great and real and true and is powerful and more than enough for you. And grace is powerful to cover your shame and to heal you of your guilt and redeem you of your sins. Grace is enough it's amazing grace it's amazing grace my question to you what is the greatest gift that you want this Christmas because trust me those airpods will soon die when all those gifts you receive are used up and they're gone there will still be one gift left And for most of us, it will be unwrapped. There will be a bow on it. It will be the prettiest, most valuable gift. And it's still lying behind the Christmas tree. And it's called grace. And for so many of us, we probably didn't even open it or didn't even think about opening it. Tucked in behind the corner of that dried out tree. And my question to each one of us is, will you open the most precious gift of all? We have a duty till the last advent, not just to experience grace, but to offer grace, full of grace. See, God's grace doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't have to make sense. 
It doesn't make sense why a perfect God would show imperfect people who aren't even seeking Him grace. But He does. But it's not our duty to understand. It's not. It's our duty to stand and say, God, if this is freely given, I want this, God. And I want to be an impact into every place that I go to. The second thing I want you to realize is this, that God's grace is bigger than your debt. God's grace is bigger than anything you've experienced. Not only are we freely given this grace, we really can't outsin the grace of God. It's not a competition. He's done it all. It's sealed. It's done. He loves you so closely, so dearly, which means that all the sin that you've ever done is covered. The ledger is wiped clean and you and I can walk in freedom because God's love is that great. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.